this is Once Upon a Crime in Hollywood, the Ronnie Chasen story. Two months after Miss Chasen was murdered, Beverly Hills Police had all but wrapped up the investigation. Speaking to The Hollywood Reporter in January of 2011, Beverly Hills Police Department Chief David Snowden said, quote, that man is the man that shot her. There is no conspiracy. Nothing else was involved. I know a lot of people don't like to see it end like that. They'd rather have something more dramatic, but that's just the way it is. The facts are the facts. He also noted there was no further evidence to review. After Smith's suicide, Miss Chasen's brother, Larry Cohen, told the New York Times he thought Smith was a deranged person who had made up the story of killing Miss Chasen and that there was no way he was involved. Cohen added he thought it was likely a case of road rage. Tabloids published stories of other possibilities. Larry owing hundreds of thousands in gambling debts. A business or art deal gone bad. Reports of a man seen lurking on a traffic island near the crime scene hours before the shooting. And of course, the theory of murder for hire. Larry Cohen, also addressing the gambling rumors about him, tells website Showbiz411, I don't play poker. I don't gamble. My two daughters don't gamble. Someone writes something on the internet and it goes everywhere, whether it's true or not. The rest of Ms. Chasen's family came into the spotlight when TMZ published a copy of her will, drafted in 1994 by her close friend. Ms. Chasen's will was worth $6.1 million and had planned to leave the majority of her state, including her furs, to her mother, Carolyn Cohen. Miss Chasen's mother died before she did, so most of the estate instead went to Melissa Cohen, Miss Chasen's niece and Larry's daughter. She also made several charitable donations to Hole in the Wall Gang, the American Film Institute, Make-A-Wish Foundation, and the Women's Cancer Research Foundation. She left $10,000 for two friends, Sandra Manley and Elizabeth Smith, and $10,000 each for her nephews, Robert Goforth and Louis Cohen Goforth, as well as her niece, Pam Wagner, on the condition they use it to educate their children. Perhaps the most notable was the gift she left to her other niece, Jill Gatsby, Melissa Cohen's sister. Miss Chasen left her just $10, writing, I have intentionally and with full knowledge of the consequences omitted to provide for my niece, Jill Cohen, except for the gift of $10. Jill joins us now. She's a producer, artist, singer, songwriter, comedian, novelist, screenwriter, and political pundit, owner of Big Bear Recording Studios and Magic Music Rooms in Big 
Bear City, California. She's also working on a book titled A Murder in Beverly Hills based on the murder of Miss Chasen. Jill, what was your relationship with Ronnie like? Had it changed in the years leading up to her death? We had a crazy relationship. Um, we had a very, we had a very complex relationship and uh, we're, we're, we're finishing this book up and all of that will be in it. So it'll be, it'll be a fun read for everybody. But um, what else can I say? Um, from what you just said, I just wanted to correct a couple of things for you. Uh, Bobby Goforth got a million dollars. He didn't get 10,000. My, my, my half sister, Pam got 10,000. The half brother, Louie got 10,000, but Bobby got a million dollars. And, um, I got $10 according to my ex-husband. I was in a divorce with at the time. <laughs> and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And with that $10, we came up here and we created Big Bear Recording Studios. <laughs> it was a lot more than $10, just like Bobby's 10 grand was a lot more than 10, uh, you know, it was a lot more than 10 grand. Add a couple of more zeros is all I'm saying. <laughs> Did Miss Chasen ever tell you that she was admitting you from the will? <clears throat> well, yeah, we had a, we had a, we had a falling out which was kind of creepy because uh, we, we, had, we had a couple of falling outs throughout our life. I'm very sassy. I'm very like her, but we're also very different. However, um, our big falling out happened on Whittier, on the, um, on the south side, the southwest side of the street. And she was coming from Westwood, and I was in the car with her, and we were going to see... Uh, a movie premiere of a, of a movie with Mick Jagger. And I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was a futuristic movie and he was in it. And she had done all the PR and we were riding in the car and she started going on one of her rants about how everybody in our family is disgusting. And she was like this. So she would get very, very nasty about everybody. And she hated everybody. She thought we were all embarrassing. And I was the only one that wasn't embarrassing. And that was only because I was skinny. Because I was skinny and I was good looking, she liked to be seen with me. So she liked to take me out to all the things. And she basically, yeah, she pulled over and talked about the will. And she told me that I was going to get everything, that if she hated my sister, both of them, the boys, everybody was messed up. And um, I was going to get everything, but I just had to keep watching my grandmother as I had been. And the fact is, I went to see my grandmother because I loved her. And our family was so sick with money that when she made this like it was an offer, I looked at her and I said, Ronnie, I said, you will never buy my love of my grandmother. It will never happen. I will never take money from you to watch my grandmother. I go to see her because I love her and you're not taking that. And she said, well, then you're done. And I said, fuck you. And I got out of the car. She drove off and left me there. I was 20 years old and uh, she kept going. She went off to the premiere and that was the beginning and the end of our friendship and our relationship. That was the beginning of the end. And that's probably when she wrote the will to give me 10 bucks so that she could have this stab at me for the 10 bucks. And she, she couldn't control me. So she hated me because she was a very mean woman. 
There was rumors about Miss Chasen's family being involved in business deals or gambling debts connected with the murder. Did you ever hear about any relations to owing money or about Miss Chasen lending any of her family money? Okay, so like again, this is the problem with like how do you say this? I'll give you a good answer to this. This answer kind of coincides with like, I can't tell you anybody who I think might have done this. You're not allowed to name any names. Everybody could get in trouble. So basically, nobody can say anything. You understand? Like, nobody, nobody can say anything and nobody can tell the truth. But whatever isn't true can be printed. And whatever isn't true can be repeated incessantly till it's like vomitous. Okay. Larry Cohen. Just like if you were to look up John Smith. There's 10,000 of them. So... The story of Larry Cohen being a gambler comes from some incompetent in the L.A. Times who thought it was really smart to write a story that Larry Cohen has a gambling addiction after pulling out a book of a guy named Larry Cohen, 30 years younger than Larry Cohen, the filmmaker. It's about as ignorant as saying Lawrence Cohen is Larry Cohen and he wrote Carrie. No, he didn't. The guy who wrote Carrie, his name is Lawrence Cohen. You know what I'm saying? It's a different guy. So, yes. Larry Cohen is a man who's in his 30 years younger than Larry Cohen, my father. He's a gambler. He's written three books on gambling. It's well known. And he goes and does the circuit talking about gambling. So some imbecile at like the L.A. Times put out a story saying that guy is Larry Cohen. Do you think the case should be reopened? Do you think the investigation, the case case should be reopened? Of course, I think it should be reopened. Harold did not do this. It's ridiculous that Harold did it. There's, 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 there's so much damning evidence against so many different people in Hollywood that only Ronnie would have her files closed. Only a politician, maybe a member of the CIA, we sealed the files. I mean, they wouldn't even release an autopsy report. Now, let me tell you, this is America. Anyone's supposed to be able to see this. This is public. But no, 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 we got to protect all her clients. No, that's not who they're protecting. And they didn't give a damn to find out who did it because I know they already knew who did it because they didn't even want to interview me. They didn't want to interview anybody. The the murder weapon was stolen not even a mile from where I lived in North Hollywood. I was in Sherman Oaks. But I literally, it was, I'm I'm only, literally, I'm 10 blocks and it starts to be North Hollywood. And it's literally right a mile from the cop's house. All right. So my my last. Who did it? My last, my last question to you, and I appreciate you being here, is you're working on a book based on Miss um, Chasen's death titled A Murder in Beverly Hills. Can you give us a short um, story about, to just tell us what it is? Um, <clears throat> I would like to say that up until now, I had moved up to the mountains to escape A Murder in Beverly Hills. I'm just going to tell you. I got involved with the band and a bunch of producers and friends of mine in Hollywood, and we started talking about it again. I've got all this new evidence, thanks to you guys. And um, what you also taught me, which I didn't know, wasn't really fully aware of, to be quite honest, is how, how hard it is to get the truth out there, because you can get sued, you can get in trouble if you say the wrong thing. So it's very hard to find the truth in Hollywood, because there's so many famous people that can have a lot of money and can sue you. So you got to go, well, how am I going to tell this story and not get in trouble? So all I can say is Mr. Jones. And that's what we're doing. Miss Chasen's will drew more attention after a December 6 report from Anne Louise Bardock in the Daily Beast 
claimed Larry Cohen believed Ms. Chasen had a more updated will from 2006. Anne Louise, what did Larry find out about Ms. Chasen's other will? All right, so because it's Hollywood and everybody's got a storyline and everybody, you know, it's all noir and everybody's living in their version of uh, Raymond Chandler or Hill Street Blues or NYPD, everybody immediately goes to, you know, what, what, what they write and what they see and what they produce and what they direct. And um, so there had to be a conspiracy. This had to be a hit. Um, and also, so she had a brother who she was quite close to. She had a brother, Larry Cohn, and was her only sibling who she really did care about. Uh, she had some issues, as I recall, with some of his wives, but that's, that's very Hollywood. Uh, and she was very close to one of his daughters. Anyway, so one of the conspiracy theories was, oh, my God, you know, Larry liked to gamble now and then and had some debts. And, I mean, it was preposterous because anybody who knew Ronnie Chasen or spoken to her knew she, she adored this brother. She was very close to him. And like a lot of siblings, they had issues. And it was preposterous and I think very hurtful to him. And in an effort to dispel all this, when she was killed, he asked the Beverly Hills Police Department to send some detectives uh, when they went to the, her bank and opened up her um, security, you know, her safety, uh, safety security box at the bank. And, um, uh, and they found uh, a lot of jewelry, but they didn't find a new will. <laughs> they found some very valuable jewelry. And which he locked back up, and that was the end of it. And then, in any event, there was absolutely no motive because he wasn't really a beneficiary. One of his daughters was. So the whole thing was pretty preposterous. But that's just classic Hollywood, um, is that nobody, nobody wanted to believe that a random, senseless act of violence could happen in the very heart of Beverly Hills, uh, a stone's throw from the Beverly Hills Hotel, literally. Uh, no one, people thought that happens downtown. That happens in Crenshaw. That happens in East L.A. Uh, in fact, it happens at an alarming rate. But the idea that that would happen, this random, that a guy not even in a car, um, but a guy staking out a moment, hiding in bushes, and his getaway vehicle. How, what could be more preposterous than a seven-speed bicycle? You've spoken to some of Miss Chasen's friends over the years. What do they think about her murder? Well... Um, the, her executor, co-executor, Martha Smilgis, is a former reporter. And when I spoke to Martha at the time of this, of the murder, uh, she understood. She understood that random acts of violence happen in the best neighborhoods. But they're very unsatisfying. You know, listen, people love conspiracies. 
I mean, people, that's just, that's the nature of people is nobody, you know, the idea of a random, senseless, violent act of crime in one of the finest neighborhoods in America uh, on the arguably the most famous boulevard in America, Sunset Boulevard. What has more name cachet than Sunset Boulevard? Um, was incomprehensible. Um, and I think a lot of her friends were very well attended. They wanted justice for her, and it wasn't satisfying. Um, it just wasn't satisfying. It was so random, and it's also very it was very scary. If that could happen to her, uh, I, I remember interviewing a woman who, right around the corner of that area, had a very similar experience, where a guy came up to her fancy SUV and threatened her with a gun and then followed her. Um, and that happened very, very soon before this actual murder. So it was an admission that or, there's a lot of things going on in, you know, Tony Beverly Hills, regardless of the amount of private security, public security, Beverly Hills Police Department, that a lot of people really didn't want to think about too much. Martha Smelgas said Chasen never mentioned her will again after 1994 until two months before her death. She also stated she was suspicious of Chasen's death several times over the years. According to her, Miss Chasen was working on a trust at the time of her murder, but no other will has ever surfaced. So while Ms. Chasen's will offers limited insight, her family and friends still may have doubts about the explanation for her murder. In July of 2011, Beverly Hills police officially closed the case. For some leading to more questions and a lengthy legal battle to uncover answers, Almost eight months to the day Miss Chasen was murdered, Beverly Hills Police Department put out a press release saying it had completed the exhaustive investigation into the horrific murder of Miss Chasen. The statement says detectives reviewed in excess of 150,000 emails and texts belonging to the victim and investigated thousands of tips received on the police department hotline. It added that police staff logged 10,000 hours investigating leads and that without a doubt, it is the conclusion of robbery homicide detectives that the sole perpetrator of the most heinous crime was Harold Martin Smith. All facts and evidence conclusively indicate that Mr. Smith acted alone and was in possession of the murder weapon when confronted in Hollywood for questioning on the night of December 10th, 2010. So despite questions about Smith's motive and whereabouts on the night of the murder, police are using the words conclusively and without a doubt. 
Beverly Hills Police Department also reiterated that Smith acted alone, but while the gun in Harold Smith's suicide appeared to be a match to Miss Chasen's murder, it still didn't explain how he could have pulled it off. Once again, we welcome back Joshua Ritter, criminal defense attorney, former deputy district attorney for LA County and host of his own podcast, True Crime Daily Sidebar Podcast. Josh, what are your thoughts on some of the statements police made to the public after the murder? Those statements are probably some of the things that I found most problematic with how this investigation was run by Beverly Hills PD. When you use a statement like, without a doubt, without a doubt, we believe that this man acted alone. That is a loaded statement to begin with, but one, it has legal consequences as well, because when you're trying to prove a criminal case, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. So when you start using these terms like without a doubt, um, you're essentially saying that we believe uh, this person is convictable even without a, a, a trial, even without any kind of outside scrutiny, take our word for it. And that's that's a problem. Now, it sounds like they did an incredibly extensive investigation. I have no doubt that they did. And I have no doubt that they left uh, every stone unturned. Um, but to make these kinds of statements without any kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, diplomacy to it, to say to the best of our investigation, we believe he acted alone. Uh, based upon all of the the uh, evidence that we have in hand, we believe that that was the firearm used. Those are far more um, measured statements, and I think they would have gone a lot and a lot farther to kind of create some trust and goodwill with the media and with and with the public in their kind of uh, frenzied scrutiny of this case and the investigation. Josh, are you surprised the case was never brought to a prosecutor before Beverly Hills closed the investigation? Very. Um, it, I worked as a prosecutor for close to 10 years. And oftentimes, especially in cases of high profile especially in cases you know involving a lot of media attention and scrutiny, the DA's office would get involved early on uh, because the way it works is that the, the law enforcement does the investigation, but it's the DA's office who ultimately makes the decision on whether or not to file criminal charges, whether or not to reject a case and consider it closed. Um, there they they are the uh, the agency tasked with, closing out cases. It is it is not common practice and certainly hasn't been for a while for agencies to just take it upon themselves to decide something's closed or we're going to not pursue these charges. They leave that in the DA's hands and that's the way that it should work. So for them to say that they never even involved the DA is, is troubling to me. And it also, I think, feeds into this um, narrative that was developing around Beverly Hills that perhaps they weren't up to task 
And did they need to bring in outside agencies? And why weren't they consulting outside agencies? And certainly, why weren't they consulting with the district attorney's office? To, because though they're not a investigatory agency, they are essentially the law enforcement arm of the county and you would think would be involved from the onset. Beverly Hills Police Department would in fact be challenged to provide more answers when an independent filmmaker named Ryan Katzenbach requested case documents and a copy of Chasen's autopsy report, which was still on a special indefinite hold. Beverly Hills Police Department declined to release any documents to Mr. Katzenbach, inspiring him to begin planning a documentary called 638, a reference to the amount of time between Ms. Chasen's final phone call and her death on November 16th. Over the next two years, Katzenbach sued the department in Los Angeles Superior Court for full access to the murder file. The autopsy was finally released in 2013. It showed two bullets struck her in the chest. A third hit her right upper arm. According to the coroner, the fourth most rapid fatal shot hit her right shoulder, pierced her heart, then passed through the right side pulmonary vein and right lung. It also shows that Beverly Hills police initially believed Ms. Chasen was killed in a drive-by shooting based on the initial coroner's investigation report, which referenced Ms. Chasen being shot by an unknown suspect who pulled up in a vehicle alongside her while she was stopped at the red light. Beverly Hills police said that detectives requested that the coroner's file remain private for all this time out of respect of Ms. Chasen's family. Craig Harvey, an official with the coroner's office, told the Los Angeles Times, based on the circumstances, the coroner's felt that no legitimate reason remained to maintain the security hold, so the hold was lifted and the document released. In a separate statement, Beverly Hills Police Department said it's proud of its investigation of Ronnie Chasen's homicide and stands by the final conclusions. Josh, how common is it for an autopsy to be placed on a three-year security hold despite Harold Smith's autopsy being available? It's odd when you have a case that they've declared closed. At this point, you it begs the question of what what are we keeping private and what whose interests are we, we protecting by keeping it private? Now, I'm not trying to play into conspiracies theories and say that there is no legitimate uh, reason for doing that. But you you have to ask in a case with such public intrigue, why not just release it? it, it especially if, if you consider the case to be closed and you consider this to be uh, an, a, no longer an ongoing investigation that you have to worry about any sort of outside tampering with with the the sanctity of the investigation. Go ahead and release it. Again, um, unless they provide further reason for it, it continues to feed in to the overall mystery surrounding this whole case. 
The autopsy would be the first of three releases of documents by the Beverly Hills Police Department over the next four years. On the final episode of our six-part series, we discuss the long legal battle to get the rest of the case documents unsealed, what they reveal about the murder investigation, and perhaps the most stunning omission by the Beverly Hills Police to this point.